This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, a podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. You can subscribe and download episodes wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can follow us on our social media pages. And while you're at it, I would love a review. The past is never dead. It's not even past. William Faulkner wrote that in his novel, Requiem for a Nun. I was introduced to this quote last month on Anderson Cooper's podcast, All There Is. And he said that he had found an addendum of sorts to this online recently by a writer named Greg Isles from the book, The Quiet Game. And I want to read it to you because I think it speaks to grief in a powerful way. Isles wrote, Faulkner said, the past is never dead. It's not even past. All of us labor in webs spun long before we were born. Webs of heredity and environment, of desire and consequence, of history and eternity. Haunted by wrong turns and roads not taken, we pursue images perceived as new, but whose providence dates to the dim dramas of childhood, which are themselves but ripples of consequence, echoing down the generations. The quotidian demands of life distract from this resonance of images and events. But some of us feel it always. The past, to me, has felt especially present these last few weeks, partly because it's the holidays, and the holidays are always complicated for me. First, I'm a mental health therapist, and all mental health therapists are very aware that the holidays hold a lot of complexity and difficulty and suffering for a lot of people. And that's no different for me. The dim dramas of my childhood play out brightly in my mind during this time of year. You know, I often will say, December 1st comes, I'm feeling pretty positive, feeling what I describe just kind of that joy or maybe excitement of the holidays that also goes back to my childhood. And I always think on the 1st of December, yeah, it's going to be okay. It'll be fine. Now, let me clarify I was talking to somebody after the holidays this year, and they said, how were your holidays? And I said, they were fine. And this person said, just fine? And I said, oh, you need to understand, that's what I'm aiming for. I am aiming for fine. And if I land in fine, that's good for me. I don't put all of these other expectations on the holiday. You know, I want to have good memories with the people I love at some point in December, and that usually happens if I'm intentional about that. But somewhere always to around, I would put it like somewhere in that window of December 15th through the 18th, the heaviness and the complexity of the holidays, I start to feel that in my body. And I feel the weight of that and I can get pretty somber. Now, you know, I'm still able to be social and I think a good party guest if there's a party I'm invited to. But on my drives home... I can get really somber. Just in my quiet time, I allow myself to feel the weightiness of the holidays and the complexity of the holidays and everything that I feel and everything I remember. I often say the holidays and December, I mean, I felt the joy as a child. I felt the anticipation and the excitement as a child, but also the holidays were a very tense time in my household. And I understand why. I mean, I'm a parent understand the added financial burden of the holiday. I understand the added stress. I also think my mom put too much weight on the holidays, like it needed to be this magical, perfect thing. And 
we were just never that family, let alone able to do that at the holidays. And so as I remember those things or as those memories come to my mind, I, I also say my parents' worst fights always were in December, closer to the holiday than not. So, you know, I've been feeling that lately, which I think is why grief has been on my mind. Just memories of my own childhood. The anniversary of my mom's death this past Saturday marked nine years that she has been gone, the 30th. And then this year, I have attended two funerals this past weekend. One for my aunt, who I love and admired and was an amazing woman. And she also unexpectedly passed away at too young of an age. I don't think that, you know, if people live to be a hundred, that we don't miss what could have been. She was 69. It was unexpected. It was also on the morning of my mom's anniversary. So we now share that date with my cousins and with her kids and with her spouse. And I know, you know, I, when I got the news, when I got the text, it was very bright memories of this day for me nine years ago. Not that I don't remember that on the 30th every year, but for some reason, hearing that she had passed away, it just brought back memories of what they're doing and what they need to be doing, you know, making arrangements for funeral and notifying people, spending the day notifying people. I, I know what that's like, making phone calls to people, and it's shocking. They don't understand what you're saying, and you have to repeat it over and over because my mom's death was also very unexpected. She was planning to have all of the grandkids over that night for a sleepover, and she passed away, you know, in the afternoon, fortunately, before any of the grandkids had come. So it was also unexpected. I mean, my younger brother and I were calling the rest of our siblings who were unaware and having to tell them that mom had passed and that they, they couldn't comprehend it. Of course they couldn't. We were not planning for that. She wasn't sick. I had talked to her an hour before, just about nothing, right? She had gone to the dentist that morning. She had called me because, you know, my kids... At that time, were the oldest grandkids living in the state. My sister's kids are older than my kids, but they, at the time, were living. No, no, no. They were living in state, actually. They were living in state, I believe. And anyway, she wanted my kids to bring something when they come. I, I think it was a game or something like that that she wanted them to bring. So she had called me, and we just had a, I don't know, 10, 15-minute phone call. And my younger sister had talked to her probably 30 minutes. I mean, we don't have an exact, I mean, we have an exact time of death, but um, my younger brother had arranged with her to drop his kids off a little bit early so he and his wife could go away for the evening without kids. His kids were young. He's the youngest sibling. They were young, both of them under five, and he was dropping them off. And his wife was going to take their car seats and put them in my mom's car I think that's how it was, or maybe they were going to swap cars. Anyway, his wife was busy, you know, doing what whatever that was, and my brother went in the house to let my mom know that they were there because she had some errands to run. So I think maybe they were switching cars, and so or switching car seats, I don't recall. And so he went in to let her know that they were there because she was just going to come out while they're in their car seats and go run errands with them. And he found her unconscious. And, you know, I 
happened to work that day. Um, it was the one day of that week between Christmas and New Year's that I saw a handful of clients who were struggling or just had some things going on. One of my clients, that was her dad's death anniversary. And so I had specifically set up with her that I would be meeting with her on that specific day. And I had met with her earlier in that day. And then I just, you know, let my clients, some of my clients who I knew were particularly suffering that I would be in the office that day and meet with them. It's just a handful of clients. So I was at work and I didn't know when I had my previous session with my client that day that I was soon to share a day with her. My brother was calling me and I, you know, just kind of turned over the phone because I was in a session and I don't get on my phone in a session. But I could tell that my client could see my phone keep going off. I could see out of the corner of my eye my phone going off. And so I just, I turned it over. I was the only one in the building, like nobody was working that day. So it's just me and my client in the building. And all of a sudden there's a knock at the door. I'm kind of startled. And I open the door and it's my husband. And he says, we need to leave now. And I kind of step back in and my client's like, I'm, I'm going, I'm going. He's putting his coat on. We're on the way to the hospital, which wasn't far. And he's kind of saying, here's what happened. Your brother called me. He found your mom. She was unconscious. Called 911. They came. We need to go to the hospital. And we're driving kind of in silence. And I'm thinking, this can't be a good thing. I'm sure this isn't a good thing. We get to the emergency room and we walk in. My brother and his wife, well, they were arranging for somebody to watch their kids. My mom's neighbor across the street volunteered to take their kids and watch them. And so, you know, they were a little bit delayed getting there. So we got there at the same time at the hospital. We walk into the emergency room and, you know, I say, we're here for Susan McAdams. And the person behind the desk said, oh, yeah, she's in room two. And that shifted something in me in that moment. I was like, oh, OK, she's in room two. And this is happening very quickly. But I'm thinking, OK, she's in room two. That's good, right? That's a good thing. And I'm expecting to walk into room two and see her sitting in a hospital bed being like, I don't know if I can have the grandkid party. Like, I'm sorry about this. That's what I'm expecting, right? My brother and I get to the door and we're, we're standing in the door, my husband, and I think his wife are behind us. And we are seeing this team of doctors and nurses working on her. And that was just, it was just shocking. It was shocking to me in like a trauma kind of way, shocking. And we stood there for not long, maybe a couple minutes. And then, you know, you see the head doctor look at, glance up at the clock. I know what's happening. And he calls it. He calls time of death. He walks over to me and my brother, says, I'm sorry for your loss. You can have the room as long as you need the room. And, you know, the nurses are kind of cleaning up all of the equipment and all of that. And then they leave and I'm like, what? So he and I share that memory that my other siblings don't have. I know I talked to him maybe like a week later. And I, I mean, I talked to him a lot, right? And especially during that time, we were with each other every day. And I said to him, though, are you having trouble sleeping? And he said, yeah, I, I can't sleep. And I said, yeah, every time I close my eyes, I just watch, I see that play out and I, I can't sleep. And he's like, yeah, me either. So I, I think, you know, I just, after attending these two funerals, the second funeral I went to, 
is one of my daughters has been with her boyfriend for probably about seven years now. They started dating in high school and, you know, he's just a part of our family. We love him. We care about him. We have spent time with his family, with his mom and her boyfriend and his older sister and her husband and his older brother. We've gotten together for holidays. We have gotten together for the Super Bowl. You know, we we just enjoy spending some time with them. And his brother-in-law suddenly passed away on the 5th of January. He was 32 years old. He was healthy. At the time that week, he had had a cold. And nobody thought that, you know, it was serious. And he just unexpectedly passed away that Friday night. So going to those two funerals, you know, already feeling the grief, having that in my body, having that on my mind. Yeah, it was it, it, just something I decided that it, it would be good to capture some of these thoughts, be good to be able to share. Because what I know is that when grief shows up, and it's often for me unexpected now, the best option is to welcome it in. I think I have probably been familiar with grief since I was a young child, little girl, and familiar in different ways with it. But grief showed up in my life at an early age, just in the loss of innocence, the harshness of life in my home, harshness of my parents. I think I have been experiencing grief from very young ages. And there were times I thought I could tap it all down, that I could dull the intensity of the emotions that come with that, or just put it out of my mind and forget about it. I've done a lot of work on my grief. And what I have learned is when grief shows up, you welcome it in. And what is helpful is to talk about it, to share it, to have conversations with people about it, and to open up instead of to restrict and try to close it off. Now, if you are a Patreon member, this podcast will continue on the Patreon app. If you are not, I'm going to invite you to become a member of the Thanks for Sharing Patreon. I will be providing bonus content every month, and I'm sure that that will grow and develop into something I don't know. I am just new to Patreon, and so I don't know exactly what all that will entail. But that will grow and evolve and have different offerings. If at this time you you know, are financially, can afford to become a Patreon member, let me just say, I get it. I understand that. That's okay. And I will still be putting out probably weekly episodes that are free and available to everyone. So whatever you can do, I appreciate that. I sincerely appreciate if you can become a Patreon member. And if you cannot, I understand. The Legal Stuff. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and education and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. Prayer of the Perfectionist. Nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Help me to remember the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone. I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastering. I am enough. Amen. <laughs>